0: What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader! And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organisations exploring future-fit leadership and organisational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, Executive Coach, Senior Advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organisation and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my guest today, Paul Hargreaves, CEO of Cotswold Fair and Flourish. Thank you so much, Paul, for being here with me today. Good to be here. Looking forward to it. So, we're going to dive straight in. Uh, and it would be great if you could start by sharing a little bit about Copswold Fair's reason for being, it's, its passion and its purpose.
1: Yeah, so we are a, the main business. So, there's two sides to the business. The main business is a, a wholesaler of specialty food, and we exist to solve two problems. One is small artisan producers, which are our suppliers. Most of them are probably quite good at supplying their local areas, but not so good at supplying retailers further away from from themselves. So we kind of fulfill a need for their distribution and also solve a problem for retailers um, who, unless they're someone like ours, have far too many deliveries in their store. So we're a good way of them getting loads of artisan products in their shop without too much hassle and we make their lives easier both in terms of them sourcing existing ranges they have and consolidating that and also being the kind of eyes and ears looking out for new products which we always have loads of and keeping their retail offer fresh and new and full of the latest food trends
0: yeah well it's a you're in a very interesting sector, um, and it's obviously a very interesting time uh, at the moment in, in uh, the business market. Um, as you know, the frame I use uh, in regenerative leadership when exploring uh, the journey for a leader is the inner nature um, of themselves and the outer nature, their work as a leader, but also the inner nature of the organization and the outer nature of the organization. So we're going to um, so the inner nature of the organization is really the culture, the way in which yep. people show up, the values, how people integrate and how they make decisions and so forth. The outer nature, which I want us to start with first, is, you know, the products, uh, the relationships that you have with a variety of different stakeholders suppliers customers wider society should we start with the products um how do you help your clients as it were and uh, i know you're helping them sort of tap into a whole ecosystem of Mm. um, wholesome artisans Um, but i know you help your customers in in other ways perhaps we can start by sharing a bit there
1: yeah so i think the we have some quite high bars in terms of is this product going to work in the market Does it have good, sustainable values? Are they still going to be here in in a couple of years' time? Um, So in terms of the the sourcing of products, we are curating a range, I would like to say it's probably the best range of uh, specialty food in the UK, probably is, that's not, not a false boast so retailers are incredibly busy and and time taken off the shop floor is is not good in in many cases particularly in you know current financial difficult times so us kind of helping them grow their business in effect i like our sales team to be viewed as people who are going to help our customers expand have the right products on the shelves maybe help they also help in terms of taking products off the shelves sometimes if they're not performing well and putting other alternatives in there. So I think we like to see ourselves as partners in 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 both ways, both partners with our retail customers helping them grow their business and also partners with our suppliers uh, who we don't just view as suppliers we 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 view them as as partners working alongside them to help their them grow their their business and generally the products we stock are of a higher quality than many others in the market. So I'd like to think we've kind of raised the bar over the last 24 years in terms of the quality of food that people are eating, quality of drink they're drinking. Obviously, we can't take all responsibility for that, but I think we are part of the reason that the bar has raised over those years. Even the supermarkets offering now is a lot better than it was 24 years ago. And that's partly because of all the independent Uh, Food retailers that have sprung up over that time, challenging them and saying, in effect, your food isn't good enough. I mean, clearly there's still some really poor offerings in the supermarkets, but generally the bar is higher than it was, and I think that is something we've achieved over the last 24 years since we founded in 1999. I mean, that's a
0: long time, actually, especially for this market, which is very um, you know low margin, difficult, competitive market to be operating in, and there's been many changes in the market over that time and uh, it's interesting to know that you've actually some of your customers have actually been with you over the whole of those 24 years now clearly your numbers of customers have increased significantly if we now look at your suppliers which you rightly say you know you work with them as partners really rather than a sort of, sort of transactional supplier relationship um just over the last 2 years alone you have significantly changed the way in which you engage with your suppliers uh, if we just look at the b corp status for instance of suppliers i think they've moved from about sort of 6 b corps um, uh, a couple of years ago to now over 50 um could you speak to that how you work with your suppliers how are you actually helping them evolve as businesses um, in their consciousness
1: yes yeah, so we became a b corp in, in 2015 i think probably started making noise um to our suppliers soon after that you know we we are one of our kind of values as a company is is to to challenge the status quo so we're we're generally not shy in in coming forward and saying to suppliers actually we think you need to do this better or we think actually you've got far too much packaging on that product strip it down and and we'll sell more of them so yeah we we've i think it was um It's only just before COVID, so beginning of 2020, I think there was still only six suppliers that were were B Corps, and it it is now. I think it's exactly 50, actually, as we speak. So some of that is the general moving forward within UK business. In particular, the food and drink sector has a disproportionate amount of uh, B Corps, 25%, I think it is, of the whole. So we've kind of ridden that wave the key thing here is a lot of the people we deal with they love what they do they're not just doing it for the money if you were just interested in money you probably wouldn't be in the food industry anyway so there's heart in what they do there's soul in what they do and it's a natural progression really for for some of them to go down the same road we have and become a b corp and we we have in the last 18 months i think we've started a, a b corp accelerator course for our suppliers to help them on their journey now Actually, I just heard yesterday that one of the ones from the first cohort has just got their certification, actually. So they're all, you know, there's now I think there's about 20 suppliers that are on on that journey. And um, yeah, it's just. It not, you know, obviously it's good for them, um, but it's also good for us as a business to know that more of our suppliers are, are doing better. Obviously, we've all still got a huge way to go here, but they're all doing better than they were in the social environmental standards. Yeah.
0: And it's it's out. As you say, it's helping your business in multitude of ways. It's a very volatile time, fickle um, patterns of behavior in many ways. And so developing long term relationships with your customers, as you have done with suppliers, um, helping them sort of share your mindset engage, it, they themselves becoming stronger as a result okay. of becoming B Corps, all of that is helping your resilience. Now, um, we, we've we talked in our own journey together about sort of, you know, leadership resilience, but also organizational resilience. And it's interesting, there's this sort of mantra I've been um, uh, playing with for some years now, uh, which is that um, adversity reveals genius, prosperity conceals it. Yeah. And it's very interesting, because of course, you know, the ego we know we're, we're searching for prosperity in many ways, um, but yet that very thing is then concealing our genius. Mm. And adversity, the very thing that we're sort of wanting to sort of slightly scared of and want to try and avoid, is the very thing that actually reveals, makes us who we truly are. Um, and as a business, I know that you've had your own sort of challenges over, over the time. And, and it'll be really interesting to hear from you how some of those challenges have actually helped you um, through. A very difficult market period of of covid for the um, Mm. retail and and food industry in general um it reminds me of of nasim talib you know the expression anti-fragile how we're actually allowing ourselves to build in adaptiveness through our learning through our developmental challenges and that's not just you as a leader which we'll come to in a moment but you as a business could you speak to any of the challenges over the last few years and how they've made you stronger and wiser
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the times, the worst times possible, um, from hindsight, often you think are the best times. (laughs) The challenge is, I think, knowing that at the time you're going through them, which isn't isn't as easy. So, yeah, I mean, our first massive troubles in in 2014 almost lost the business. We put in a new warehouse management system and everything that could go wrong did. Half the people that worked for us ended up leaving because it was a terrible place to be. It was complete meltdown and in effect, now I see that as the start of the version two of Cotswold Ferret, soon after that we, we discovered B Corp and in effect rebuilt the company from there. So that was you know, that was massive turning point from us. Never wanted to go through it again and yet in 2019, something very similar happened. Now this time, we were obviously further down the journey, um, had you know changed massively we were then moving a warehouse uh, because we worked out that we could reduce our carbon by about 47 percent by changing where it was and how we did our logistics and that was involved and not using another logistical company so in 20 august 2019 i think it was we we made this big move now moving it might not sound a, a big deal but when you're talking of you know, over a million pounds of stock to move. That is a significant um task, takes several days to 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 do that. It was horrendous. I won't go into the details, but very similar to the occasion in 2014. The big difference this time was everyone knew why we were doing it, we were doing it to emit less carbon in our supply chain. And there was a massive sense of yes, it was tough, really tough, lots of tears. But says, everyone pulled together, we will get through this. Uh, we had built up that resilience over the, the previous years. And yeah, that was six months before COVID. And I, the way I talk about it now, it's almost like we'd had our COVID six months in advance, got really resilient, got through it. So when COVID came and there were huge supply chain issues generally in the UK, we were actually in a great place by then and um yeah we we fulfilled with a lot of small shops just couldn't get stock and we were able to to help them and we we've had two huge uh, growth years during the, the two years of covid
0: yeah and uh, you know in that challenging time some of your comp- well many of your competitors have struggled uh, yeah. some have actually gone to the wall so very interesting how those periods of adversity you know make us stronger um now Talking a bit, you know, we talked about the outer nature of the organization, how it's engaging. Uh, Let's pivot now to the inner nature, the culture. I know, again, you've been on a journey. Um, So how are you helping your culture? And, you know, what's the work that you're doing to enliven this system?
1: So I think the big eye-opener for me here was um, when I first went to, you know, this is about halfway through the life of the business. We had, had some profit, wanted to do some good with it went to uh, Kenya to see if we could help a a rural community there Um, and came back to the business and a number of people got really engaged. Well, yes, we could make a difference here. Um, Organised a ball, raised some money, started a farm. And it was, I mean, again, some of this is from hindsight, but noticeably it, it helped people engage a lot more with the company with the fact that we weren't just, doing what we did as a business but we're actually also looking out into the world and making albeit small it's one village in a, a large country but making a difference in another part of the world people not everyone but a majority of people are really engaged and excited by that it's almost like there was an extra spring in their step as they came to work knowing that they were helping towards making a positive difference somewhere else and and as time's gone on, there's loads of things we're also now engaged in. And that's one reason why, may, probably the main reason, people like working here, don't often leave, and are engaged with what we're doing. Yes, we all love good food, and we love what we're doing as a business, but the fact we're involved in lots of other community projects, I think, adds value to, to why people come to work. And In fact, I had two people. We had a Christmas party um, in, in last year 2022 we actually had it at easter due to delay due to covid but two people came up to me at, at that party and said that they'd never the one was in their 40s and one in the 50s and they both said totally separately so in effect said the same sentence we've never worked anywhere before where we've actually looked forward to going to work in the morning
0: yeah isn't it I, I could have
1: left the party at that point yeah. if anything in fact, it would have been a favor because they had to put up with my karaoke afterwards. But um, yeah, I mean, fantastic. You know, as a leader, job done. Um, but also quite sad, isn't it, that that so many people work for companies where that isn't the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if we can create a happy, fulfilling place for people to come to work when they're enjoying what they're doing, they also enjoy being part of a movement as well, then um, job done. We, we can move forward.
0: There's a lot to this. I mean, we've been discussing in our journeys together. You know, what does it really mean to to be truly allowing our potential to unfold? And that also involves a sort of connecting deeper into our own inner purpose, our own intrinsic purpose, our our essence, if you like. Mm. And that in itself is a um, is an undertaking, a psychological, spiritual undertaking, really, which is vital Um, before we go into your own personal journey decision-making, you know, this is an important part of this sort of shift towards a more regenerative um, business where we're allowing people to bring more of themselves to work. We allow people to be more themselves. And in allowing people to be more themselves, obviously, you know, we listen, we allow them to share, we hold space. um, By its nature, that can actually be more challenging for the leader because you're actually having to, um, you can't just sort of bark orders in the traditional kind of control managed way sometimes it's that it can actually feel annoying especially when you're having to make quick decisions how how does it work in practice allowing a a more empowered type of decision making
1: well it's definitely more messy sometimes um if you want a quiet life you you can you know move to a command and control model but that doesn't allow people to express themselves so yes we we have quite often actually we have tears in our, our meetings in fact someone we had a planning meeting a week ago and someone ran out the room crying so that is quite a common expression but we've done quite a lot with work with people in in terms of helping them be themselves at work and not be afraid to show their emotions help them tap into their their own reason for being and and obviously it works well if if their reason for being coincides with us as a company you have a much more stronger powerful organization actually sometimes a couple of times i can think of that people helping them discover their own purpose has actually meant they've left us um one lady i'm thinking of actually went to be a baker she was in our marketing team so actually my i really want to make food and, and this is my purpose and she's now um working in the local bakery so but it's so important isn't it i think too often in the past people have been seen as Cogs in a machine to, to, with the end goal being the benefit of the company, but so much better if they are fulfilling their own purpose as part of being a human being within your, your own organization. We've, I think we've seen people as, as human doings rather than human beings. So, yeah, I mean, connecting all that is takes time. Decision wise, we have a kind of mantra that we, always put people and planet before profit so at all our meetings we have we always have something on people and planet before we get on to talking about any numbers and that kind of runs through all our decision making really so unless it's benefiting people unless it's benefiting the planet in some ways we don't do it um so yeah i think that's been a an important thing for us keeps it so, ground there, doesn't it? It, it helps yeah, put context yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes that makes for some really difficult decisions. Sometimes you do have to make decisions that results in a drop in revenue or a drop in profit, but it's the right thing to do. I think medium to long-term businesses that do that will be more profitable, will be more successful, but sometimes there is a, there is a, a short-term hit on some of those things, but... We're all committed to, to doing the right thing. And that tends to shine through. But this
0: interesting, because, again, if we look at purpose, how, you know, there's purpose everywhere at the moment. And it's been slightly hijacked by the achiever mindset in all mm. of us, uh, where it's become some outer thing, um, you know, sort of something to define or, or, or achieve out there and work towards, which, of course, is an aspect of purpose. And nothing mm. wrong with that as a North mm. Star um, but what I like about the the, the the journey we've been on is actually understanding this intrinsic sense of purpose, a purposefulness really um, that comes through us. That is about us being more in tune with who we are, and that in mm. itself is a continuous journey and an un- unfolding yep. process, um, which I would argue is 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 very much part of this journey towards becoming a regenerative leader. So it brings me on to your own personal purpose Um, but before i just do that i want to just share with the uh the listeners that you're also an author as well as a speaker um uh you're 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 an author and you've written a couple of books and the the latest book um i've got here the fourth bottom line flourishing in the new era of compassionate leadership and i'd like to ask you why why that book um you know you've actually articulated a number of attributes and characteristics around leadership but but why why write that? What's what's the what's how does that relate to your sense of purpose in the world?
1: Well, the book was actually written in the, the first period of lockdown in in COVID, partly because I uh, I'd had a few ideas and then didn't have anything to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think it was very clear when the pressure came on, and we're kind of in another similar time now in in twenty twenty three that there is it polarizes leadership. Um, there were some really good examples of leadership in, in in at the start of COVID, and some really bad ones as well. And it's a question that I always ask if I'm doing an interview. I always ask a question: Who has inspired you in your, excluding family members? Who has inspired you? That's been a leader, and very very few people can give a good answer to that question. There just aren't enough inspiring leaders around. So. I then just thought about some, you know, massively inspiring leaders that I've read about um, Nelson Mandela and and Mother Teresa, people like that who have had a huge impact as leaders, massively inspiration, and and looked through what are the qualities that they exhibit that make them those inspiring leaders. So I came up with 50, um, was going to be 30, but 50 leadership characteristics um and then i put i actually put out a poll on uh on linkedin and um you know name a a characteristic of leadership without giving them the list and i had loads of about 200 responses i didn't have any that i hadn't captured in the book so i'm not saying there are any more in fact someone did come up with the word magnanimous which I had to look it up in a dictionary, but I think I've covered that in a couple of other other chapters. But uh, yeah, we desperately need more inspiration, I think, as leaders. And if we could, you know, grasp um, a few of them—compassion, empathy, anything like that—we can we can be those inspiring leaders for the future. I'm going to pick on one of those. Um,
0: okay. I, I actually like some of them. I think I would almost go as far as to say they're kind of virtues. So things sort of like things that we live in a deep way within us. Um, and I, I feel this is one of them. Vulnerability. Um, I enjoyed um, looking at it when I, I read the book the first time and I went back to revisit it uh, just before this uh, call here. And um, it was, I was interested, I was reminded there's, there's a lady in there, an American author called Madeleine, Lengal, who um, you quote um, and she says when we were children we used to think that when we were grown up we'd no longer be vulnerable (laughs) but to grow up is to accept vulnerability to be alive is to be vulnerable so I love that to be alive Mm. is to be vulnerable and I think really that's what this is about And a very important part of becoming Mm. a regenerative Mm. leader is that aliveness so this opening to life this sort of Uh, essentially an act of love which Mm. i think c.s lewis you also quote lovely um writer um also mentions you know it's an opening up and it connecting it's quite a courageous act yeah um what does it mean for you vulnerability
1: well i think you know in my early adult life i was probably doing the opposite of that is adultification a word um if it isn't i'm just making it up now so i think a lot of uh culture certainly here in the uk being coming in adults about closing up isn't it yeah maybe maybe that's fears hurts you know over use of the the brain rather than the other parts of our knowing um so yeah i i was definitely not like that for many many years my leadership i was you know sports player so football captain rowing stroke and stuff like that my Kind of leadership was, was uh, very macho, unfeeling, and, you know, very command and control, really. So I've had to relearn all that and get rid of some of the hurts and difficulties from the past. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a great this description, that kind of opening up. And, you know, especially when you're a leader, quite often they're on a, a pedestal, Um and people can't trust people like that if you you know if you see someone that never shows emotions is always you know sitting behind a, a in their own little office which we don't have here by the way um it makes them very difficult to trust when people can see they're a human being like they are and they have struggles just like them they have times where things are going really badly at home just like them they're the kind of people that they will trust they're the kind of people they will follow and they're the kind of people that make um lead a good business of which they'd love to be part of so we've had far too much of the kind of masculine macho leadership we definitely don't need any more of that we need more of that openness of the feminine i think in our leadership
0: yeah I think this is essentially what regenerative leadership is about, as well as uh, uh, alchemizing that masculine and feminine within us, really just becoming more of who we truly are, connecting to our essence and bringing that through then into the evolutionary potential of the organization so that it serves life. So it's, it's been a real pleasure um, connecting with you and, uh, and working with you as a coach. And this conversation, but I'd like to ask you just before we turn to your to the final question around your personal journey and any frames. Uh, how would you describe your personal purpose right now in your life?
1: Um, well, I have I've got a purpose statement which has, has helped me, but it is essentially um, it's to do with reversing injustice in both the kind of business and political spheres. So, and it took me a, a trip to India to actually really discover what's really always made me tick is fairness um so i hate unfairness always have even as a kid i hate injustice really annoys me that's why i can't listen to the news too much cuz most of it is about that so yes my purpose is reversing that injustice um so clearly we try and do that as a as a business um i have had some engagement in the political sphere in the last 12 months maybe there's more of that to come i don't know but uh yeah, anything where I feel people have mistreated and trodden down. If I can help them, you know, raise themselves up, then that's me fulfilling my purpose. Lovely. And finally, any frames or tools
0: or tips, even um, that you have found useful in your own journey as a leader.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the big one is <laughs> most of my journey as a leader was was doing too much, um, and this, you know, this cult of productivity we tend to to have in the west so actually doing less in various ways (laughs) fortunate to live in the countryside going for walks more having part of the week where hopefully half a day a week where i just do nothing in the diary just sit maybe read maybe maybe go for a walk and just having that silence and solitude at some part of the day usually first thing in the morning i think they've been essential for me to help me discover who I am and help me be a a better leader.
0: Yeah, I love it. Silence, connecting into that inner space within is what allows us really to open to be more vulnerable and then to become who we truly are. And you mentioned in the book how actually the the sort of the the need to be an expert or the need to know actually gets in the way and prevents Mm -hmm. that vulnerability, prevents that opening. So I I love it. Creating space for stillness. Thank you. It's been a real honour to be in conversation with you today thank you very much paul thanks for having me for more on leading by nature you can follow me giles hutchins on linkedin and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business also watch out for my latest book leading by nature the
1: process of becoming a regenerative leader